We can live normal lives like everybody else. Can I be? Like everybody else. Darn tootin' you can. Hello, Tony. Maddie Blake. Well, this is a special edition of Rated P for Paranormal. I believe only our third guest in the history of the show. Uh, no fiddle faddling here, Tony, as I like to say. No messing about, no scuttlebutt. Let's get right to it. Brian J. Kano is a producer and director. He's a paranormal investigator. You know him from Paranormal Caught on Camera, Haunted Collector, and of course, The Curse of Oak Island drilling down with me. Brian, welcome to Rated P for Paranormal. Good day, gentlemen. It's good to be here. Welcome on aboard ship Paranormal. <laughs> the ghost ship for today as I commandeer your vessel and we go into waters that are both dark and mysterious. Uncharted territory. <laughs> now, Brian, as I mentioned, you and I met doing an episode of my show, Drilling Down for the Curse of Oak Island. Um, and we've remained buddies ever since. But before we get into that and your paranormal street cred, which is super strong, probably one of the strongest in the world. Um, I wanted to ask you, the reason you're a great fit for this podcast is you are really passionate about film. In fact, we just spent, what, Tony, five minutes breaking down Rocky for the director's cut. to <laughs> much like to 25, Tony's 30 minutes, yeah. So talk about your love of film and specifically paranormal film. Um, I know you're a huge fan of Ghostbusters. Why does it mean so much to you? Well, specifically Ghostbusters, since you, you bring it up, that came out when I was 10 years old. So it was very much something that inspired me because at that time, back in 1984, if there was a film that dealt with the, the, the topic of the supernatural, it was dark. It was evil. It was The Omen, The Omen 2, The Exorcist. And it taught you that the paranormal is something to be feared. Mm. And then along comes Ghostbusters and written by Dan Aykroyd, whose family has paranormal chops that, you know, I didn't even know that at the time, but he came to it with a place of, yes, I, I know about this. And what the film left with me was two things. A, you could deal with this via tech. It wasn't just praying and priests and, and holy water. It was gadgets and gear which obviously you could tell uh, really shaped my later career. And second of all, the lesson I learned was we're ready to believe you. And it was a very hopeful message. It was something that never left me. And as a 10 year old kid, who didn't want to be a ghostbuster for Halloween? That is exactly true. And that's a really, really interesting point, Brian. There's a real streak of positivity in that movie. I've never really been able to put my finger on what it was, but that's, that's really well put. It's very open, you know, and inclusive about the about this stuff. And um, and uh, it, it is hopeful. That's that's really cool. When they're they're hiring Winston, where Janine says, do you believe in the theater of Atlantis, the Loch Ness Monster, ESP? And she just rattles off all these terms. And back then, it just seems like a, a mishmash of of uh script speak but now that i'm older i'm like yes all these things okay i know a little bit about each of these topics and to someone uh, fluent in it adept at it at the time they're like yeah they they're getting these words out into the lexicon brian give us a state of the union if you will because we're a podcast that reviews specifically paranormal themed film and television what do you, what do you think about the state of paranormal film and television right now 
I believe currently there's a stalemate of information in that in 2004, there was an explosion on the airwaves of reality paranormal programming that began with Ghost Hunters. Now, yes, there were paranormal programs that were on before that year, but it was very much a Halloween thing, an October thing. And when we were leading up to that holiday, the specials would air. And by the time It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown aired, we were on our way to Thanksgiving and Christmas. And you didn't really think about it. Now hmm. you have networks that are 24-7, 365. You can pull up paranormal programming right now. I mean, look at Discovery Plus. It has an entire subsection just filled with shows. And I'm on like at least two or three of them. <laughs> and the reality shows get the public invested in the topic. It gets people to say, oh, well, I, I might be a skeptic, but I kind of had an experience. And it brought the topic into the mainstream more so than the movies. Because the movies, like I said, still are about the sensationalism and the jump scares and the cuts. And with the shows, remember before, you know, when I was a kid, again, it was The Omen, it was The Exorcist. So if you were into the paranormal and this was something you did, you weren't in the quote unquote paranormal. You weren't a rock star. It was the occult and you were doing something subversive and you must've been weird. And the, the meetings they had were in basements, churches, and not in the public eye. Now, next, next, next month, I'm going to be in Vegas at a convention. So it's very much out in front now. Wow. Um, that's really well said. And Tony and I have commented, right, Tony, about, um, even during the time of this podcast, which isn't that old, we've seen an incremental shift in the comfortability factor and talking about these issues, uh, every year that goes by since Tic Tac basically gets easier and easier, eh, Tony? Well, certainly on the, on the UFO end of the spectrum. Yeah, I mean, I think that being what I followed more than uh, other areas of the paranormal um, seems like it's, uh, you know, it's starting to, it's not respectable yet. I mean, you can't, you still, you know, <laughs> you still got to watch what dinner party you're at when you start talking about it, I guess. But it's <laughs> definitely, you know, uh, the mood has changed, um, uh, I, I think, in terms of people being uh, a little more comfortable in saying they've seen something. Mm. Um, I think that's the biggest thing I've noticed. I've, I've you know, uh, I know a couple of people that were really skepti skeptical. They were skeptics. In other words, they just were kind of, you know, waiting to disprove it and hated the whole topic. And then and lo and behold, they saw something in the sky and they couldn't, you know, that they were it wasn't like they were converted they just saw the evidence and they were like oh damn it their first reaction was like oh great oh no <laughs> now i'm one of these people who saw something you know and i think they feel a little more comfortable about talking about stuff they've seen well you know we're in a period of time right now that is very much like the emergence of rock and roll you know we're the we're the we're the generation that we're doing it and still the general public is looking at us like, oh, look at them. Oh, you shouldn't be doing that. That's bad. And wow. soon in a couple of years, everyone's going to be rocking out. Uh, mm. and it's going to be acceptable. It's going to be part of the mainstream and it's no longer going to be questioned. I get to be Molly Hatchet. <laughs> I, think I'm, uh, I think I'm a, I'm a Bob Dylan. I don't have a, okay. have a great voice, but it's the message. Tony, I'm the hatch. Okay. Just remember that. You're the hatch. Uh, okay. What a freaking great analogy. 
uh, that really is smart. And I think you're right on it. That's how it feels. It feels sometimes like you're part of a little subculture. Right. And uh, I think that's Brian, that's really, that's really sharp. I, I have a question, Brian, based on what you just said, you said like, you know, in the next few years, there's going to be, you know, everybody's going to be rocking out. Are, are you implying that you know something that might become more, you know, uh, concrete evidence of something in the next few years? Do you feel like that might? I think it's tight? I think it's less that and more of just being a student of history and just looking at sociology and how things have changed. You look back just within the last hundred years at just the United States alone and how the norms and ways were with nuclear families and how people believed uh, in UFOs because of the Red Scare. And it's it's the human condition that we're always looking for something. There's always that next thing, that next frontier of, oh, nope, can't talk about that. Don't do that. If you're part of this, you are. And we're put into little categories and boxes. But now I'm, I'm, I'm watching just within the last 10, 15 years, and I've been doing this for 20, that more and more people are talking about it. More and more people are at least willing to accept, you know, they might not be full on believers, but I mean, myself, when I first started really doing this, I myself was a skeptic. I did not believe. And it took me many years to come to the place that I'm at now. And Maddie, you were, you were just with me in Rhode Island at my history of the paranormal mobile exhibit. And for the hunt on Saturday night, I got to tell you, something happened to me that the Brian of 2002 would not have been okay with would not have been behind would have questioned would have said there's no way and for all of us the timeline is different for me it, it took some time but other people are more ready and the more of us they are exponentially it changes even look at the, the advances in technology over the past 50 years it seems to be getting faster and faster and smaller and smaller and uh, the advances we're making uh we're going in leaps and bounds instead of baby steps Brian, was this a, may I ask, um, because you have this incredible traveling history of the paranormal museum that I got to go see. Um, was this a hunt you did in the location that, that you were at, or did you go somewhere and do something? The hunts had, had two prongs to it. One was at the Hearthside House, and the second half was at the nearby Moffat Mill. Now, the Moffat Mill has not been opened to the public it's fro literally frozen in time as if the workers from 100 years ago just put down their tools, left oh. for lunch, and never came back. Wow. Uh, to the point where there are still stirrers and cans of paint. There's still things left where they were uh, while they were being worked on. And at the bottom, on the, on the, in the basement level, there is the river and the spillway that, is, that would cause the gears to turn down there. Uh, there's a lot of limestone, there's running water. And in the paranormal, there's, there are theories about those two elements. And in addition to that, we had a storm that night with tornadoes touching down very close by. So the air was just electric. And here I am, I'm, I'm well known as the tech guy. And I broke out my pendulum and I decided to go old school. And I was able to deliver a message to somebody who had just lost their mother and it was powerful there were tears i've done this before but i feel like i was moved physically like something shocked me almost as if i got hit by some sort of metaphysical lightning and i'm glad there were people around to see it because the look on my face was what just happened 
And for me to say this and to A, tell you about it, to admit it to myself and to do it in front of people, this is now kind of stepping into metaphysical territory. This is love and light, Brian, whereas before it was gear and gadgets, Brian. Mm-hmm. And as uh, uh, Walt Whitman would say, I contain multitudes. That's incredible. Well, Tony, as you can see, Brian is way too smart for this podcast. First of all, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm way underprepared. And I feel, Let's um, talk about Rocky again. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Please, Brian, you come on here. You embarrass me being all smart. I ain't book smart. I have a question, actually. Um, there's seems to me to be a difference in uh, you know, how different cultures deal with this, too, on, on this timeline. Um, I know uh, it seems like... Um, in uh, Brazil and Mexico, uh, sightings are, are a lot more frequent. Um, it's a little bit more open uh, for discussion, I think, there, um, from what I've heard. Um, I've, I've heard that, you know, Russia has been very interested in things like hypnosis and and um, and kind of paranormal mysticism and, and, and just kind of more openly in their society. I don't know if that's true, but through what my reading, that's what I've come up with. Have you, have you noticed that? Is that, it's, is our resistance kind of a particularly American type of resistance to this stuff? There is very, there's a very, yes, American, North American resistance to the topic. There's a lot of skepticism because it's, I just think the way our culture is right now, commute, 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 got to, got to make money, got to make money because we got to get the things, we got to get the stuff, we have to collect them all and trade with your friends. In other cultures, it's, it's different. And sometimes it's tied to a socioeconomic um, scale. And actually, there were studies done in the 70s and the 80s about uh, belief in the paranormal done by some parapsychologists. And they looked at things like age, gender, uh, socioeconomic status, even marital status about, well, all right, who are the people who believe and why? And think about the 80s. You're busy being an 80s guy, being a successful 80s guy. You don't have time to think about these lofty topics because you're too busy making it and, and, and getting the, the cash. But now there's a lot of dissatisfaction in the world. A lot of people are upset. A lot of people are feeling marginalized and left behind. And all right, look at look at the the topics of old back in, in the 30s and 40s. Uh, you look to Germany and the Nazis, they were looking into supernatural things as a way to get an edge in the war. And we're in the 50s and 60s, and we've got the Cold War, where the, the, the Russians are looking into psychic spies and trying remote viewing. And even we had programs, uh, the men who stare at goats, trying to get an edge and not by guns and bullets, but by supernatural means. And when those things don't appear to be reliable, they're cast aside, but there are still plenty of metaphysical workers and horoscope readers and people who turn to astrology and numerology to try to make sense of this seeming chaos that is our world. And tarot, as I did at your, uh, I had a tarot reading at your event and it was hauntingly accurate, by the way. I heard it went well. Oh my God. I, it's so funny. I was going to use the words. I just started a new radio show here locally. And I was, go- I said, all I said to her was, I just started a new thing. Now that could be me building a deck. It could have been <laughs> anything. And the word I was going to use was what I like about it is it ties me to the community, uh, but it's not about the money. And I just shut up. And I, she said, yeah, don't say anymore. I said, I just started something new. 
And when she was doing reading, she actually said this, this, she goes, you're going to make a big difference in the community. Uh, I know it's not about the money for you. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> like the words I was going to use, she used, which was, you know, incredible. Um, she's great. She's a, uh, uh, Claire Marie. She's my in-house tarot card reader for the history of the paranormal exhibit. And she told me, she's like, you probably already know this, but Maddie's a genuinely good guy. Oh, she said that she did. Wow, I can fool him, can, Tony, huh? We can edit this. We can edit this program. <laughs> By the way, the whole time Brian's talking, I'm just watching a thought bubble on Tony going like, why didn't I do a podcast with Brian Kano? Why didn't I do a podcast <laughs> with Brian Kano? Um, Brian, I want to talk about Oak Island or people will kill me. Oh, yes. Uh, so we met on Oak Island. Uh, you came as our paranormal investigator because as I always say like a broken record. You cannot tell the entire story of Oak Island unless you include the paranormal events, because people claim these as experiences. You came on and did an unbelievable job. You, bought, you, you brought your parapsychologist hat, if you will. You brought your gear. And I think the most compelling moments for me and for the audience were you and I picked up EVP. And I'm just going to play a clip right now of kind of the crescendo of that. But I want to talk about some of the things that didn't air on the actual episode. But here's kind of the crescendo moment of our adventures on Oak Island together. We're looking down into a hole mm. where uh, bones were found. Middle Eastern, very old bones were found. What do you want us to do? What the f was that? I don't know what's going on right now at the money pit. But parapsychologist Brian Kano and I may have just gotten our first in-the-moment response from Oak Island while investigating for paranormal activity. That scared <laughs> the blank out of me. <laughs> oh my God, that sounded like it came from down there, man. That did not, right? I mean, that didn't sound like... Matt, you've been officially initiated into the world of paranormal investigating. <laughs> oh man. You have arrived. Wow. That was amazing quite a moment i can't believe history actually aired me cursing even though they beeped it out i thought they were gonna just get rid of that whole moment but it was so genuine brian we looked you and i looked right at the camera people and and, and the people who were there as if to say like it wasn't you right because it wasn't us maddie i gotta tell you that that was one of those moments that producers kill for because it was genuine it was honest i was glad to be there for it and again you know on a filming schedule things don't know and you can't depend on the paranormal it doesn't show up at its call time and i'm just glad that i had the wherewithal to say something cool to you after like oh well maddie welcome to the world of paranormal investigating so good so good and then you taught me something really great that day that i hadn't uh, thought of before we did the investigation during the day and i and, and a lot of people commented on that like oh maddie was too scared to do it at night but you made a great point <laughs> why the day paranormal is 24 7 there is no specific time i'm not a believer in the three o'clock veil thinning uh theory that a lot of people abide by that the the horror movies subscribe to it's uh where we are they are and for the most part most of the times that we we notice these things this phenomena is is during the day as we're going about our our, our everyday business and yeah during the day things aren't as scary but as you and I saw, every location we went to, the swamp, 10X, uh, the, the cove, I feel like something happened. And, I, and honestly, I, I believe I got an EVP in every single location. You well, did. they may not have been scary, but the names are scary. 
I yeah, went to yeah. place X and the cove. I, I'm already yeah. a little freaked out. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh the swamp. And and uh Brian, there were there was a couple EVPs. I played a couple for Rick and Marty, which they aired. Um, I believe the name we asked at one point, who are you? And I think we got Jason. Is that do I remember that correctly? You thought it was chain me. Chain them. Chain, chain them, them. Which but, fits into the slave narrative. But going back, like, yeah, it could have been a Jason, it could have been a different name. The the phonetics are similar so it's i always tell people it's good to go back and revisit your evidence and i even i even wrote about the experience in my uh, upcoming book uh, and the chapter is called hope on oak island mm. and i gotta tell you it's just the adventure i was only there for a day i begged the producers let me stay another day They're like no 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 you're done go 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 <laughs> i could have stayed there a lot longer and, oh, and i mean you and i were freaking batman and robin yeah we were simpatico no doubt let me let me play something else this was recorded up by the Tenex area. What you're going to hear is me ask a question. Then there'll be some silence, and I want to see if you guys hear anything. Here we go. What's your name? <laughs> Did you hear anything? Yeah. I heard something, but... Uh... I'll give it to you again. What's your name? <laughs> it's, it sounded like Jason. Mm -hmm. It you, sounded like Jason. You hear Jason? I hear Jason. Both of you. I do too. I hear it, but I mean, I don't know what to make of that. It's interesting that you both heard Jason. What Brian heard was chain them. Chain them, chain them. But I hear Jason. <laughs> I don't know what to make of that. The movie we're doing today uh, is Firestarter. And it's oh. the third of our kind of telekinesis or psychokinesis trilogy. Um, we did Dead Zone, Patrick, and now Firestarter. So it's just a mini marathon with telekinesis. Uh, what can you tell us in your expertise, Ryan, about telekinesis and, and, you know, the ability to affect change in the physical world using one's mind? I just wish I could do it in a Christopher Walken accent. That's an impression I can't do. I was it's funny. I was trying all weekend after you left and you told me about Dead Zone. I'm like, oh, let me try to do my Christopher. And it ended up being like Travolta. And I could, I said, <laughs> it's pretty good. You got it. You got it. So, so he, he hits my hair. I spent a lot of time on my hair and he hits it. That's, that's my Travolta. <laughs> uh, but telekinesis, uh, this is one of the uh, topics that parapsychologists study and test for in that there's micro and it's, it's, it's also known as PK. Uh, so like psychokinesis and it's both either, uh, micro or macro. And when we're talking about micro, it's on a very small scale, almost unobservable. And it's kind of attributed to luck. Can you flip the odds? Uh, you, know, you go to, to Vegas, you go to Atlantic City, uh, or anything involved with statistics that if you're exerting your will, uh, you can make these minute changes. And around the world, there are these random event generators or REGs that uh, are constantly measuring just that just kind of uh, random things so it's either it's and it's binary so it's either ones or zeros ones or zeros and they look at the statistics and usually it's kind of around 50 percent because it's either going to be one or the other there are events in history that will make those seem to skew in one direction or another uh, more so than they would normally one of them was september 11th 2001 mm -hmm that in the days leading up to it, these random event generators were acting in a way that wasn't random, almost as if the world was 
tents and waitings. They knew something was going to happen. It culminated in that horrible day. And, you know, what, what is that? that? Could that be micro PK? And macro is obviously things you would see in the movies, making things move with your mind, levitation, uh, causing things to, to fly off of shelves. And that, that intersects with the poltergeist phenomena in that uh, parapsychologists believe that it's not necessarily a spirit or ghost, but that a poltergeist could be the latent and unconscious PK of perhaps a child going through puberty or somebody under great stress. Hmm. Have you seen firsthand any examples of a telekinetic event or psychokinesis in, in person in your travels or your adventures? I, I, I believe I have. I mean, sometimes I, I try to, to make things move and work. And actually, ever since I was a kid, I always, after watching The Empire Strikes Back, I always tried to use the force and, and make things levitate to me <laughs> with zero luck. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But I have seen things out there, uh, either done by people that I trust, friends of mine, uh, that seem to defy the odds and might be genuine PK. But the repeatability is not such that you could just do it. And that's where the skepticism comes in. I'm always mm. encountering people who say, oh, I could make this table levitate. Like, we'll do it. Oh, I can't. I'm too tired now. Oh, of course you mm. are. <laughs> mm. Well, that comes up, actually, what you just mentioned. That's why I bring it up. And Anthony and I are about to review it in a minute. Um, but there's a character in the film who kind of goes through that. He's got this ability and then they give him some drugs and he's tired. And they make reference, in other words, to the fact like, well, he's tired or, well, he's on drugs. So he's, it's not working well at this point type of thing, which is an interesting like as if as if that, you know, and, and in the movie they give they give the pituitary gland. Mm. they assign the pituitary gland as the kind of conduit by which Drew Barrymore does what she does. Um, it's just interesting to think of an origin point of, of something like that. You know, there's something very relevant about that and that's we wonder if these abilities are fantastical, if they're magical, like, oh, no, this is just in the story. This is just Harry Potter, but we're all so medicated and we have so many, unnatural things in our bodies and our systems at pretty much all times that imagine if we just all detox from all of it, what could we do naturally? What are our bodies and our minds capable of mm. that uh, we, we almost stunted our development some, somewhere along the way. I, I feel like it was the industrial revolution where we went from an agrarian society to one that had to produce and towns started sprouting up and um, steam engines and everything. We started producing instead of making and being. And instead of going kind of the route of alchemy, we went technology. And I wonder if things would have been different had we gone the other way. Do you think there's any evidence that it might have been another way back in the, you know, 200 years ago? Uh, uh, maybe uh, a lot further back than 200, but it seems like you have societies that, uh, especially um, indigenous peoples and native cultures that were very in touch with the land that had medicine men, that had shamans, that seemed to have natural cures that to us were like, oh, this seems backwards. Look at that. But at the time, hundreds of years of tradition being passed down, it seemed to be working. So why did, why did we turn our back on it? Why did we ignore it? I've, I've gone off on that rant, Tony, you can back me up on this, uh, you know, in, in terms of the films we review, even, you know, 
you deal with an issue like the Salem witch trials or something like we're very quick in modern society, as you point out, Brian, us of the caffeine and the alcohol and everything else and the computers and the cell phone to look back on people 200 years ago and go like, well, they were just imagining stuff. It's like, well, they were attuned to nature like we are not. They did not have the distraction of phones. They didn't. So, so the fact that something might have happened unexplainable, they would have been able to suss that out. You know, we, we, it's, we shouldn't dismiss things so fast back in the past as these simple rubes who didn't understand all the stuff we understand. No, in, in a way, they were more connected to things than we were. So if something unusual did happen that they could not explain, which did happen a couple of times in Salem, by the by, um, you know, it's, it's, you sh- we shouldn't be so quick to dismiss it. I love the movie I Am Legend with Will Smith. And it's just, a, it was a, not only being a great performance, all right, the CGI was a little so-so, but the performance was great. And one of the things that was said by one of the other characters, she's like, well, the world is quieter now. All you have to do is learn to listen. Because he asked, well, how did you find me? She's like, God sent me. He's like, what are you talking about? She's like, the world's quiet now. All you have to do is open up and listen. And maybe that's what our ancestors did. They were, they were of the land. It does make a lot of sense. Yeah, he just gave me the chills. Brian Kano, uh, I can't thank you enough. I'm going to give you the honor now of uh, you mentioned a few. You've mentioned a few movies today in your time with us. Uh, I want you to pick our next film that we do next week, a paranormal themed film or television show. Okay, this one is going to be going back to the 90s. Uh, The the, the effects are are so so, but it's fun. Uh, It's an adventure. It has one of the greats of the 80s, Michael J. Fox. I'm talking about the Frighteners. Oh, great what? pick. A great oh, pick. I'm, looking forward. I'm this really was, looking forward to seeing that one again. Wow. This was pre, pre Lord of the Rings Jackson. Oh, my gosh. That is a great pick. I haven't seen that since, again, it's one of those movies, Tony, VHS when I was in great, uh, junior high, probably. That is a great pick. Good. Good work. Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> Thank you, Brian. That's going to be a great one. Tony, any uh, any other questions for Brian before I let him get back to his life? Hmm. Well, I guess I did have one. <clears throat> um, I've been reading for the show. You know, I've been kind of upping my intake on some of the classic books I hadn't read before. Been reading some Keen and um, some uh, the French writer uh, Jacques Vallée. And I've I, one of the things that seems that they say is that the phenomenon or whatever it is that's, as you say, on the other side, right? Seems to have maybe an ability to, to keep up with our imaginations a little bit and maybe change its shape or it's <clears throat> how it's perceived based on how we're developing as a civilization in a way so that they're always kind of a, a step ahead or to the side. Is that something you've you gleaned from their books or read their books? Or do you take any stock in that at all? Um, I always go back to the saying as above, so below, which pretty much says that uh, whatever happens down here will be reflected up there. And, and in some methods, vice versa, our beliefs, our customs, we we operate on an assumption that, well, we know what's going on because it was it was told to us it was provided to us we were said all right this is how it is this is how you must act and you look as things change over the centuries there's always a justification for it and truth is truth there really is no um 
bargaining to it. So, I mean, uh, I always tell people oh, when it comes to, to topics like, say, Reiki or uh, anything else, like you talk about medicine and placebo effects, like, well, mind over matter, the mind's a powerful tool. If you believe it, it will happen. And I think, well, you can go onto the roof of your building and disbelieve gravity all you want. You step mm -hmm. off, you will feel gravity. You will mm -hmm. see it. It will introduce itself to you painfully. So I feel there must be some truths at the core, at its heart, but the the trappings of it are colored by our uh, maybe delusions or our beliefs in the moment. But somewhere in the core, there is something. And, and in the paranormal, we talk about genies and uh, rather jinn or demons. Those demons may not be uh, theological figures. They might be extraterrestrials who, when they came down, the people who saw them go, oh, this must be from heaven. Uh, Bigfoot could be an interdimensional creature. It could be an alien. There could, there's so, such an overlap to all these different areas that I, I don't think we're, I don't think we're there yet as far as understanding, but I, I hope we're getting closer. Brian Kano, just incredible stuff, man. Where can people find you, follow you? Do you have any plugs coming up? Yeah, if you go to my website, neverstopsearching.com, you can keep up with everything I'm doing, including my history of the paranormal exhibits. I've got a Patreon group where you can come and that directly supports the museum as well as other projects I'm doing and look for it. It's coming in my book, Grains of Sand, Tales of a Paranormal Life. You heard it here first. Oh, we broke that news. That Amazing. Brian Kano news. That's awesome, Amazing. buddy. You are incredible. I think you raised the bar for the entire field. Um, I think you're just fantastic. I want more people to know about you. Please be a regular contributor to this podcast. We're going to dub you such, even if you don't want it, because you're so <laughs> smart and awesome. So uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. I would love to come back. And buddy, our adventures have just begun. Tony, those are the sweet sounds of 1984's Firestarter, starring Drew Barrymore, a return visit on this podcast from George C. Scott, and most importantly, a return visit from Screaming Sheen. Screaming Sheen is back. Jessica! I'm so happy. I'd forgotten he was in this. Dude, all right. So we had the exact same experience. That we, I forgot he was in this too. I, I Well, I didn't even forget he was in this. I had no footing for this film. Um, it's a film that a minute in, I realized, you know what? I don't think I've ever watched this thing all the way through. Um, it's one of those films I think you can trick yourself into thinking you've seen because the title is so huge and those scenes of her with the hair and creating the fire, it's so ubiquitous. And I realized I've never seen this movie all the way through. There's no way. So or arguably there's no reason to, but that's a different conversation. You know what? You just blew my game. Cause I was going to say, we haven't played a game. We, the, there was an episode called the wind we did. Um, yes. The wind beneath my loins. And I invented a game for that episode where I said, let's predict what we are going to think about this film. And we try to say what each other thinks. So I was going to say just something basically exactly like that. <laughs> if I was you, I'd say, um, they never should have started the fire. <laughs> okay, let's go in. Let's get it. Let's get it, baby. Uh, Firestarter, you know it. Drew Barrymore, based on the Stephen King novel. She has the ability, like her father, she has a special ability with her mind. She can start fires. Uh, he can make people do things or as they say in the movie he can move people which is really a cool way to put it i think or send people is it send people or move people 
push, um, right? Push. Isn't it pushing. He can push people, which I actually thought was kind of cool. And there are some cool things in this movie, but boy, is it it it's not a good film. I mean, let's let's not bury the lead here. I think we can really start this off by saying, you know, a title means a lot of things and they went with the wrong one. I'm thinking Fireballs would have been a better title for this movie, but, you know, I'm not running a studio. It becomes Fireballs at the end inexplicably. I don't know where those came from, but I guess she developed her power, you could say. She developed her power and was Look, able to then. As bad as it is, that's not even close to the problem. <laughs> no, no, no. Because no. that's one of the cooler things in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that ridiculous nonsense? So, yeah. It's, this is another one. I, I don't even know where to begin. Um, you know, we meet Drew Barrymore uh, and her father. They're on the run. And, you know, there's some actually, you're going to kill me. Just stay calm. Or maybe not. Maybe you won't. But there's some kind of like Cronenberg elements in the beginning of the movie where I thought, okay, is that fair? Like they're on the run. It's very gritty. It's street. Um and there's some kind of cool moments between them. She's an incredible actor, even at that age. So she Truly does her great. job. Yeah. I mean, let's, you know, we can lead with that. She yeah. is just charming and adorable and great. Um, and, you know, I mean, uh, David Keith is an actor I've, I've liked and stuff. I, I think he's been great in movies. Yeah. I think he, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Look, I mean, this is this falls this like starts running and then it just 10 yards in it just fall it just trips over itself and and it's i mean this may this is one of the worst movies we've ever covered <laughs> i mean this is truly this is it, like a low point it it's it, it gets it's it, it's mistakenly creepy I, they didn't mean to be creepy at times but it gets really creepy there are things that are worth liking about it. I, yes. I, I think there are. They're 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 buried in, in they're buried in um in one of the most misbegotten movie experiences I I can remember. <laughs> I saw I saw this in the theater and I I think it was a it was a big moment for me. Mm. Um, as a young person, it came out in '84, so I was like just graduating high school. Um, Boy, and old. Okay, all right. Speaking of fireballs, I just launched one right <laughs> at you. Oh Lord. I didn't I didn't expect this to go this way. I thought there would be a little goodwill here, but apparently not. Apparently I'm like, not. I'm like the George C. Scott character. I'm just pretending to be nice to lull you into a false sense of security. Um, and then I'm gonna smash your nose with the bridge of my hand. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing I liked about the movie. So, you know, we're talking, we're going right for the gold here. Um, I saw it in the theaters and I, I thought it was terrible. And then over the years, completely forgot about it. So I kind of feel like I hadn't seen it before, even though I had. I, I just, I mean, I remember being, I was, this was at a time when I was like, Stephen King was not new, but new-ish, you know, on the scene. And it was like, like after all this, like really, they're all going to be kind of middling movies, aren't they? <laughs> there was a point where like the, Stephen King is the coolest thing on the planet right now. And this is what we're going to this is the movie we're making out of it. Like what? And nobody can adapt him. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. There was that thing about it where like he's an unadaptable writer, which is weird to think of it now. But back then, that was kind of how, how it went. I mean, there were great stuff, great movies made of his stuff. But then at that time, it seemed like an equal amount of. What the hell were you all thinking? 
boy, I don't, I don't, where do you start? This is a, this is a low point. This is a hard, this is a hard one. This is tough. This is sad. Um, it's funny as hell. It's inadvertently um, funny, unintentionally it's, funny. It's the funniest, in, inadvertently the funniest movie that we've seen so far. Agreed. It's, 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 yeah, I would agree with that. It's, it's up there with Stir of Echoes. <laughs> Oh, I think it blows by Stir of Echoes for, I mean, at least Stir of Echoes has a, has a tone that it, it manages to kind True. of keep locked down yeah. to the this, movie. This tone is wildly off. Way out of control. Just way out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, the plot is okay. I can't fault it because it's the classic. I mean, it is kind of the classic psych, psychic girl on the run plot. I made yeah. one of those movies too. So I love that genre. That's a great plot. If you've seen the Fury or Scanners or you know even Exorcist Three or Exorcist Two, Heretic, you've been in you've been treading in this water. You 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 know what's going on. This is probably the weakest for example of any of it. Coming from the dead zone to this is like what oh, is oh, going on? Oh. And there's so much 80s gloss from that theme. The music I just played was a Tangerine, Tangerine Dream. Dream. Tangerine Dream, slumming it. After their incredible work and, you know, in other movies like Sorcerer and Risky Business and yikes, apparently with that, that score, they didn't even, they didn't watch the movie. They were just like, here they sent him, they they sent the director, like, here's four tracks, use them, whatever, just use them. Just don't bother us anymore. (laughs) Yes. Um, And there's, again, I'm getting tired of saying this, but you know, there's some wasted well, there's certainly wasted actors and actresses. I mean, there's the the it's a list of who's who of great actors. How did three Academy Award winning actors get in here? Dude, and some great performances therein, but again, just kind of doing ridiculous things in ridiculous situations where everyone's motive the motivations in this movie are the worst, the most confusing, the most unclear of any film we've ever done. Like you know, I can get, I don't even know where to start. Like we can go right to the end. What was so Scream and Sheen makes a reappearance. And there's a scene uh, where they make that, you know, they capture the father, they capture Drew Barrymore and uh, they make her do fire starting tricks at this center where the whole thing started. Um, And where they basically made her, I mean, they made her parents into psychics through experimentation and then they had her and she has like twice their power. Right. Um, They captured them both and they're staying in separate rooms and they're making her it's a nice bed and breakfast, though. It's a really nice little bed and breakfast with a yeah. friendly staff and yeah. cabbage. The guy who runs dolls. it comes in with breakfast, like he takes it really seriously. He's very personable. You know, Scream and Sheen gets to work right away, but it's like, well, here. Did you see the water in that tub boil and the temperature gradient? Jesus, did we get the audio? We got it. We did? Good deal. My God, did you see what she did? Did you see that? My God. Is there anyone here that has any doubt that she didn't make that happen herself? Not Ah. at all, Chief, none. Holy Christ, I knew something was going to happen, but I had no idea. That tray actually flew, and she controlled it. And then she put her power in the tub, and we got it. We got it all on tape, and it's good enough to stand up in court, right up in the goddamn Supreme Court. What are you looking so miserable about? He got her to do it by promising she could see her father again. Well, so what? (laughs) I don't... don't, Oh, no. I I don't... Ah, he screams everywhere. What, What... why the Supreme Court? What's the what Supreme? Have, the Supreme what Court. 
they're a covert black ops operation. They're 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 not going to go to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court. <laughs> We're gonna bring you video of this girl lighting a wall on fire, Supreme Court. For what to are what? they supposed to do about that? What are they gonna rule on? It's the whole I, thing. It's that was an improv. I guarantee that was an improv. They just said, Go do your thing, Martin Sheen. And he did I think it. He, I think he it wasn't an improv so much as I think he lost his way in the middle of the take and then started making shit up. And they were like, <laughs> ran out of time. Send print it. Let's go. The Supreme Court. So that's just one example of like, what is he doing? What is his purpose? There's just it's just and then and George C. Scott's character. He's like his enforcer killer. I don't know what he is guy at the center. Right. And uh, he devises a plan to win over Drew Barrymore's trust in the center. And, and his end goal, I guess, is to win her love and approval, trick her. And so that he can then possess her at the end when they're when the center's done with her. So he can then kill her and try to get her power as he dies, I think. Yeah, that's that. I think that's what he he was uh, thinking of doing, which um, is a long end around. <laughs> it is, but honestly, that was my favorite thing in the movie because it was so weird. And I look, um, there's a lot of shade that we are going to throw here. This is a this is a disaster. <laughs> this is a mess, and and I don't care who knows it. But George C. Scott, what? What proteins drinks did this guy drink for his acting? Like, what is going on? He's three for three now. We've covered three of his movies. Each time, I'm just blown away by the commitment that that he has as an actor. I mean, I always thought he was a great actor. I mean, but you kind of just you're told that as a young person. You're like, okay, he's a great actor. This guy. I mean, any other actor I know would have been like, are you serious? I'm going to walk through this. I'm not going to do this for you. Like any other Academy Award winning actor I can think of would have been on that set, seen this disaster and said, I'm just not going to do anything. And he commits 100 percent to this to this character in a way that's like it's shaming to other actors to me. It's like it's a shame to think of the wasted opportunity. Like he's not going to waste his chance to act. He's going to get in there and just do hamlet no matter yes. what's happening yes that's it, it, a great way to put it it's like having like the world's greatest like voiceover actor ever do like an industrial for a you know computer commercial that's only going to be right. on your computer it's like a waste right. of like he's called upon in this movie to deliver a vietnam veteran uh you know cliche like i was in the Vietnam. Not just that, but a full like PTSD freak out breakdown. Right. Freak out breakdown PTSD about being in Vietnam and the Kong torturing him to an eight year old. To an eight year old girl, (laughs) which which is at once really terrible. But then because Scott's so good, it actually becomes this really weird. It's really weird. Like that's when the movie got interesting and I kind of leaned in and I was like, Wow. What kind of psyops are we dealing with here? And, you know, bless his heart, George C. Scott came up with, I mean, if you think about this and how he approaches the little girl and how really amazing he is with her, like how genuinely caring and stuff, when you know his intentions are to literally murder her and steal her soul's energy. So when he dies, he can be all powerful. On the other side. And he sells that. Like he he literally sells it. I don't know how he did that. He did it by stealing Marlon Brando's ponytail and Santa Fe jacket. That's how he did it. 
He just played Brando. He was like, what would Brando do with this other than walk off the set? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And yeah, the the eye, he had like the, the cool, like uh, they gave him a, some sort he of- He gave him a bad eye, like a, it's yeah. all, you know, like it was shot or something. He scarred up face and, you know. I just love the image of like, she's literally, what is she, eight in this? Seven, I guess. Eight? I don't know. I, I, it's a little, kids. little. I don't know how old are kids. I, I didn't pay attention. I don't know how old he is now. <laughs> yeah, older kids. I don't know. Uh, and and you know, like he's this hulking man with a ponytail, and he puts a patch over his eye, a huge scar on his face, and just kind of like walks into this, her her luxury eighties apartment yeah, with a vacuum old. cleaner. <laughs> Watching him vacuum an apartment is one of the great pleasures of my life. And she's completely nonplussed. She's like, yeah, yeah. just throw it over there. I'm playing ColecoVision. You know what's amazing about this is that he looked like he knew how to work a vacuum cleaner better than Heather Locklear knew how to use oven mitts. Because I think I think she'd never seen oven mitts before. I don't think she ever used them or knew what they were. Hey, I think they had listen, to explain to her listen, what they were for. I'll talk about Heather Locklear's oven mitts all day. Um, okay. What other notes do you have? Art Carney showing up. Okay. Look, where, where are we when, when you hire Art Carney to play like a hillbilly? Like what, what? I don't understand any, anything that happened, any choice along the way. You know, we've talked a lot about, you know, movies being in the toilet because of studio interference, mm -hmm. you know, or because of a crazy producer who was just driving it into the ground for some reason or a temperamental actor or something. And you watch this and you're like, you know what the real problem here is, is the people that made this movie just didn't know how to do it. That, this isn't studio interference. This is just complete ineptitude. Tony, you nailed it. I wrote down something to the effect of like, I feel like this movie is the movie I would have made if someone gave me $15 million and those actors when I was like 17. Like, right. this is the movie I would have made. You know what I mean? Like from I even think you would have, I think you would have made a better movie. Than this. I don't know. <laughs> even just the way the camera moves, the sets, the way it just... <laughs> no, it, it, it's just every it's single baffling. thing. The sets are being I mean, there. The sets look like sets. The, everything looks incredibly fake. The light, literally, it's it's lit like an episode of Trapper John MD. It is. Yeah. The, it's just. It's, like, the, it's unbelievable. It's like General Hospital. It's almost worse. Like Martin yeah, Sheen's yeah, office it, looks yeah. like General Hospital. It, it's just like throw every light we have on it and just yeah. blast it and then hope some hope for the best. And then leave Man, the camera here and let these two actors walk with their backs to us in the window. And we're just not going to move the camera and then just cut to the desk and their back of the desk. Like just sure. the most obvious, weird. Sure are serious focus problems. There are serious unmatched eyeline problems all over the place. All over the There's place. camera movements and jiggles and bounces when there shouldn't be any all the time. I mean, it, it is just, it's just a, a technical mess. And, and then script wise, like, Oh, I don't know why art Carney showed up. They must've had money, like crazy money or something. Dino De Laurentiis just must have paid people in cash with a suitcase of money. I, I can't imagine any other way. I mean, what do we know about the, you know, how this was made and who made it and how this happened? Like, what do you know? I know that the movie here, here's what I believe firmly is that this is, this is, this movie is cursed, creatively cursed because of how they wronged John Carpenter. Yeah. And, oh, and this okay. is retribution for that. Tony, 
we talked about this in an earlier podcast of this podcast. We talked about how he was basically queued up to make this film, John Carpenter. Yep. Because the thing wasn't a box office smash and people. Well, it was a disaster. It, it was a disaster as we, as we. Yeah. Talked it wasn't about. not a smash. It was a really bad uh, economic thing for the studio and the critics hated it. And the, the people, I mean, people viscerally hated it who, who mattered in terms of money and getting your next mm-hmm. movie. Uh, so he was taken off this project and boy, there are elements of this film that I can see it being a John Carpenter film and being freaking awesome. Oh, oh yeah. Right. I mean, I think you could argue that he kind of like made a better version of it with Starman, which isn't even a movie I love, but I right. think it's a way better movie than this. Yep. And I think like you can see that. Did you see that movie Midnight Special? Yes. With, with Michael Shannon. Michael you know, that's, uh, Jeff that's, Nichols might be Jeff Nichols might be my favorite director right now working. Okay. Yeah. Like, he's great. Freaking love great. him. And um, so I feel like that's almost like the movie John Carpenter would have could have made if you know what Starman is. Mm-hmm. But even if they kept with more of the, the plot of the book of Firestarter, which is kind of basic, like it's kind of it doesn't do as interesting things as Cronenberg did with Scanners, for instance. It doesn't yes. get it's a little kind of a juvenile version of that. But yes. even, you know, Carpenter would have made it a, just a. There's no way he couldn't have made a movie out of it, like somehow. Right. And he would have had something to say beyond just telling a tale. Like, this is just a tale. There's nothing in this movie that makes you think about any, you know, reach any deeper or something about society. Nothing that I could garner. It's just like, here's a tale and here's where you put the camera and just put that good actor there and go. And that's all it is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is ridiculously funny, but there are things about it that got me kind of pissed off because they had the, I guess I didn't read the book, but I'm assuming maybe, you know, King probably did some research on psychic stuff. I mean, there's a, there is that men who stare at goats element to this where the government has a, a secret program where they're either studying a paranormal and psychic powers or they're creating them in people through drug experimentation which they did i mean that's actually on the record that our government did that in the 70s so enjoy that wormhole folks that's that's really fun (laughs) um there's no you know there is no angle on it it doesn't even seem like this movie is kind of against that kind of government interference it doesn't seem to have any you know thing to say at all you're right it doesn't i guess what i was saying is the thing that is annoying is that because of king's research there are these things that were kind of real or kind of based on truth like her parents heather locklear and david keith getting experimented on with this drug that made them crazy they did that with lsd on people we know that happened right so it's it was a shame that they had some of these real things and in things that could have been fascinating like that part of the story was much more interesting than being chased by these people in the thing i mean oh my god so you know, oh that was annoying. It was like, you wasted some great material here on this, on this disaster. Think of the list of actors that are wasted in this movie. You got nurse ratchet. You got Louise Fletcher. What the heck? She, why dude, is she here? Dude. Is, and we don't even know. Is she married to Art Carney? Is I think so. Which daughter? Is, I don't know. In and of itself is completely unbelievable. I mean, it's Art insanity. Carney, no offense. I love Art. I know Brian Carney, his son. You do too. He's the one of the greatest guys to ever live and act in They're New York great. City. You don't necessarily want to play his wife at that age. You're like, you know, I mean, she's 20 times. She's younger and it's like this vivacious woman. And she's like, what? Sense. I was like, is she his daughter or wife sense. or cousin? And you don't oh. never know. 
she did kind of phone this one in. I think Louise seemed a little over it. And she was just like, just tell me where you wanted, where you want me to stand. And I'll say the things and I'll get out of here. You got the sense. I did that. Almost every actor in this film, maybe save Martin Sheen, uh, knew that they were in the hands of someone who didn't know what they were doing. Um, yes. Right. Exactly. Cause it just has that feel to it. Like it she does, you know, they walk in the house, for example, they go, Oh, come on up and let's have, let's have uh, lunch. Yeah. Well, and, they're just a nice couple that helps them out on the run. Yeah. <laughs> just takes this family in and, uh, and the, the camera just stays there and you watch them just like walk up the stairs, open the door, walk in and it goes on forever. I'm like, it's the most, <laughs> but now I could feel the disdain coming off Louise Fletcher as she walked in right? the kitchen door. You just feel it and see it like they should be cutting now. Why aren't we cutting now? Why it's, aren't we it's, cutting it's, now? it's really a shame. It's, you know, you make a really interesting point. Like, I think that's what this movie is really why it's worth watching is for actors to see the different tactics that different actors use when they know, then they realize they're in a nightmare. Yes. Yes. George just got wins. Like he, he, he just well, won the Olympics for what it. he does is he goes like, I'm just going to double down. Christopher Walken does that. I'm going to, you know, but down. there's another thing that's like, he not only doubles down, it's not just like, well, I'm going to act really hard, which he does. Scott always acts really hard, maybe mm. a little harder than he has to, but, but mm. he, it, it's beyond that to me where it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to be in the movie. I want to be in. <gasps> got it. And yes. you can, you can go off and make your piece. Of shit, but got when it. I'm on screen, I'm going to make a good movie. Got it. And I feel like Martin Sheen got a realized he was in a bad movie and then got a little hysterical and nervous and started acting a lot. And he became screaming Sheen in a, in a way that was unnecessary. Like it, I don't feel like that was necessary in the script at all, but he decided that he was going to scream his way out of this one. And Louise Fletcher was just like, I'm just not going to, I'm not participating. I'm not going to do this. I'm not participating. It reminded me of like Denzel Washington in the rare moment. He's in a bad movie and he's just like, oh, okay. I'm, I'm just going to, you can film me. Yeah. You can film me, but I'm not going to be doing a lot. Just now so what, you know. what trailer do we pick up the checks? Yeah. Um, and who can blame any of them? Because no. this is, it's really painful. You know, it's painful when you're, when you're in something and you know, it's not good. Oh. It's bad. So I this think. movie, what the one thing this movie has done is given me a new term for this podcast. So as mm. you know, I've already coined uh, the Dubois, which yes. is, nobody believes a character, even though they've been right a hundred million times, which we fight uh, about sometimes we yeah. fight about it. You, you, you disagree. Uh, I think we have a new one, the Barrymore. And that's when you inexplicably just stand in a dangerous situation and never move. And you just have dialogue for a long period of time when there's an active shooter right above you. <laughs> As happens in the mm. final scenes of this movie, George C. Scott's character is up in the barn with a gun and he is there to kill her and everyone, presumably, ostensibly, that's all we know. He's just there lurking with a gun. Mm. And the three characters in the movie who are standing down below the barn just have extended dialogue <laughs> for the longest time when to save themselves, literally all they have to do is freaking walk out the door of the barn and they just stand there going... He's here, Daddy. The bad yeah. man's here. He's yeah, right up it, there. It, 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 it may, but it doesn't make any more sense than why George C. Scott decided to run up there in the first place. I, he, I don't like what. Why is he hiding and going? Come up, come up. Why don't you just mean, walk down and shoot her? So, like, listeners, dear people, understand. We're talking about something that makes no logical sense on a moment-to-moment basis. But it's not like you sit back and go, "Wow, that didn't make any sense," or "Why did this happen in the movie?" While you're watching it, you're like. 
why are they standing there and not over here? <laughs> why did he say that to her again? It's constant. It doesn't make any sense. It's constant. Why are they walking when they know they're being hunted? Why are they walking down this long dock with she's two seconds ago? She was bawling, scared. Can't we just be normal, daddy? I just want to have a normal life. And then he goes, you ready to go? She goes, yep. And then she walks down this long dock, just going smiling. Yeah. <laughs> and then she gets shot. And what does he do? He doesn't pick up a start and run as anyone else would do when you're in an open area with no protection. Your daughter's been shot by a dark gun. And he just goes, oh, baby, baby, are you OK? And just stays there. Yeah, it, it, it it's the kind of mistakes that during the filming, you know, it's you know, there's a problem. Like, it's not like, oh, they messed it up in the editing room. I just feel like there's things happening within these shots that are that they're as if they're filming that they're, the actors had to be going this doesn't make any sense. Why, why would I do any of it? And, um, okay, listen, I think <laughs> I want to ask you a question. Okay. What was the moment where you realized, Oh, this is what, this is what I'm going to watch now. This is where we're at. Like it's when, when you realized the level of, of yeah. nightmare you were dealing with. I think it was, for me and i'm sure it came earlier for you and i'm probably as soon as you give your answer i'm gonna go yes of course <laughs> but when i knew i was in trouble was the dialogue scene between martin sheen george c scott and the doctor who comes in martin sheen's ridiculously lit and just fake office and goes you are trying to deliver yourself of guilt of this thing and he goes through the whole history of expository dialogue of what they're doing why they're there with and another it, one of the great actors of cinema freddie jones know. just like misused oh so that's what i knew i go oh boy the second i saw that set of his office and charlie and martin sheen walked in i went oh no oh no okay i i i was there ahead of you here's my moment kind of early-ish in the movie <laughs> And it's a, it's the moment where she lights the soldier's shoes on fire oh, and he ballets himself into a toilet. <laughs> a toilet. He ballets a move. He does a ballet jump with both feet into a toilet. And I was like, <laughs> Amelia and I watched together. That was a pause. Laugh, laugh, laugh. I can't believe it. And then Amelia says, "What's?" <laughs> she was convinced that he was on wires, like that they flew yeah. him up in the air and dropped <laughs> him into the toilet. Because that's what it looks like. It's not. He does like a gym. He does like a Mary Lou Retton into the toilet. But it is. It's not something anybody would do. And you're like, I, I'm. Uh, oh, I'm in this movie. I predicted this just now that you were going to say a scene. I was going to go, damn it. That was a scene. And that was the scene. And it's even worse than that because he does it. She lights his feet on fire. His he shoes. Yeah. Ballets <laughs> and shoes, his boots, his army boots. Uh, and by the way, I, I wasn't sure. Was he supposed to be the bad guy in this situation? Who was pregnant girlfriend? I wasn't quite sure as he's sitting there going, hey, baby, leave me alone. I'm a rambling man. Not my fault. You're pregnant. You're banging some other guys. I, like, thought, it, I thought the scene had some subtlety that we can talk about, but he then ballets into a toilet to extinguish his on fire boots. Yeah. And then he turns to us. Over shoulder, you remember this? And delivers a line, goes something like, uh, hey guys, can I have a minute? Like a comedic, it's almost like wah, wah, wah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was and I literally. Go, is this a comedy? Are it's we like is this a Porky's? It, it was a moment from Porky's. It looked like how about this? That airport and the whole thing looked like the airport in airplane. Yeah, it's a it comedy. Did. Like when yeah, you run through the airport. I wonder yeah, if they absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. 
they clearly cut corners at every single chance they had oh making this god. thing. Oh my god. Um yeah, I mean, so that's the moment where I knew, and that's early, that's like 10 minutes into the movie. Right. And I was like, oh You're my right. god, that is just I mean, that's right. that's objectively ludicrous on a level that you just can't believe that they tried it on set and nobody saw it. Nobody went like, yeah. what are we, it kind of looks doing? like he's doing a ballet move into a toilet. I, I think that that's, wouldn't he, he, I could see him putting one foot in at a time or stomping around or doing other things to put out flaming shoes. They bury more so many times in this movie when they're being chased by someone or someone's running from someone, they just stop, turn, and the father and daughter have dialogue. You know, just this, it just drives you crazy like that. Again, to that last scene, Nobody said, well, wait a second. There's a guy there with a gun. A, why isn't he just firing? He has perfect yeah. sh- He has perfect shots on her and him. And then he just retreats and runs to another side of the barn and then yeah. does it again and takes aim yeah. on them. I'm like, what's he waiting for? And if I was a, I don't know, assistant director, if I was a gaffer, if I was an intern, I would have said, why is everyone standing in the barn and continuing to talk? Daddy, are you proud of me? I love you, daddy. Daddy, while he's... <laughs> looking down upon you with a weapon. I think they were surprised by the worst slow-mo run and hug that ever happened. <laughs> I've never seen a moment between like a father and daughter reunion, like, you know, after you know, a tragic movie and they were get reunited and they slow-mo run and hug each other. That was like the most awkwardly staged weird thing. It's like they almost bumped heads. It's just horrible. Didn't he can like bounces or awkward. Yeah. There's a bunch of awkward pick pickups of her. Yeah. We're, we're, we're adult men. And this is where it gets unintentionally creepy at times. Like they're just like manipulating her and picking her up and it's awkward. It's like she doesn't look comfortable. It's so awkward. <laughs> Placing her place. But I think, you know, I mean, I gotta say that uh, here's one, here's one production issue that you just got to think about. You can see that Drew Barrymore gets bigger. She grows up through the course of the movie. Yes, she does. She looks different at the end. And she yes, looks she great, does. But she looks clearly, she's a little kid. She's growing. Yes. And the movie took whatever, two, three months to make. And you can kind of see her yes. changing. And she's literally like just she's at that age where she's a little hard to carry around. She's, as too, a child. she's too physically long to carry like a baby. And they're carrying yeah. like a Yeah. I mean, she's yeah. a normal child. Right. But I know, but I mean, at the age where yes. you can't just pick her up and run around yes. easily. Yes, and it happens like five times. And like, it just gets a little worse as the movie goes on. So by the end, it's literally just like she looks kind of heavy for people to carry and pick yes. up. And she can't get on people's shoulders because she's too old for that. But it's just awkward. Oh, my God. And and the, the, the fan, you know, the hair blowing. OK, look, I it's too much. It's too much. It's ridiculous. But I, you got to give it up to little Drew because she sells those psychic moments so damn well. Right. Again, she, she, George, she scots that stuff. She's incredible. It's not, again, it's not the actors here. It's like she wells up while she's like, I I was wondering how she even did it, what they said to her, because let me put it this way. Oh, they just, they hit her toe with a hammer and that's just starts crying. Listen, that's what they used to do. Listen, I would not be surprised with this production (laughs) if they did something just like that. We're going to actually put fire on your feet here and just, you know, stand there. Realism. Um, but she there are extended scenes of just close up of her face with the fan blowing her hair back. We all know the iconic yeah. image. But like long shots, like long shots go on and, for a while. And, go on for a while and then continue to cut back from whatever she's setting on fire with her mind to her face. Whatever she's setting on fire to her face. Uh uh, like rinse, repeat. 
And what's amazing about her performance is as they keep doing that without making any different expressions on her face, without really moving her mouth or her eyes internally, you see the intensity grow almost mm-hmm. the sadness grow that she's doing it. She doesn't yeah. want to do it. The anger, the sadness, yeah. the regret. And you it's... see that in her little eyes. You ready to go? I guess so, Daddy. Mm-hmm. I'm up and start another fire in my life. Even if they come before we can get away, I'm never going to hurt another person in my life. It's okay, Charlie. And it's I just incredible. wonder what they said to her or, or how they got They didn't they say anything. They, they, they didn't do anything. It was all her. I yeah. guarantee you it, she had an act. She probably had a really great acting coach. Right. You know, as a yeah. lot of child actors would, you know, yeah. in a Hollywood movie. Because sure. the director's too busy trying to figure out how to set people on fire to work with the actors. Which admittedly they did a lot of. And some of that looked cool. But that's for other part of the conversation. I mean. You know, this this director left the actors just out to dry completely. So I don't think he helped her, but I'm sure somebody was working with her on that performance. She you know, like you're totally right, because it's not most people, including like adult actors in the movie like The Fury, which I enjoy more, but has equally stupid things in it. They're they're acting. They're showing you they're showing you stuff They're 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 showing you they're psychic yes. rather than really just kind of. T- tapping into some you know internal place where they are and and she did that as this little child actor so these shots of her blowing up houses and blowing up cars and sending fireballs and they keep cutting to her and what you'd call like maybe that carrie close-up where yes. carrie you know has those psychic moments yes and barrymore like as you know she does just as well on she that does. on that and does something different with it so it's amazing like it's actually amazing I'm a pretty serviceable actor. I'm pretty good. I'm utilitarian. I could do a little bit of maybe everything jack of all trades, but how I know I'm not world-class like your wife or like you is like, that's my worst fear as an actor is to be told like, we're just going to push in on you. And as we push in, don't move anything, yeah. but ratchet up the intensity, ratchet up the sadness, the anger, whatever it is just with your eyes. And and, and I'm it's, like, Oh, that's my worst fear. <laughs> it's, it's scary. You know, and how yeah. dare you say that about me on this show? But, um, uh, you know, I I've think, look, you, you know, it. you're in a position where it's like, all you have to do is like show some beefcake though. And that's, that, that'll be all the acting necessary. <laughs> that's why you hire me. Damn it. Uh, mm. well, Tony, anything else that we need to address here? With this? Oh, of course there is. Come on. Go. I mean, are you serious? Look, you know, I mean, are we going to blow by Antonio Fargus? Are we really not going to mention Antonio Fargus? Starsky and Hutch, one of my favorite shows of all time. Uh, hasn't aged well, but as a kid, I loved it. My mother actually banned Starsky and Hutch from me watching it. I used to sneak down and watch it in my basement. Uh, that's why, would how, she ban- why did she ban Starsky it was and Hutch? Two, she walked in one day and it was a scene of, um, they were in like a brothel or something in a bar and they were in a bar fight. And she went, oh no, mister, you're not watching this and changed it. And so she would, <laughs> she would, you know, so I had to sneak down my brother. I remember watching it. So that's how long I go back with Antonio Fargus, my friend. I think that it's, uh, I think it's a real damn shame that, you know, he he psychically implants the idea that he's giving Antonio Fargus five hundred dollars. This guy's like, no, I'm not driving to the airport. It's way too far away. And, and he hands him a dollar and he's like, what if I give you five hundred dollars? And he Jedi mind tricks Antonio Fargus. And there's a close up of the dollar and it goes bing, and it turns into a five hundred dollar bill. And, and Antonio Fargus, of course, is like, well, sure, I'll drive you to the airport now. Why didn't you say so? They get to the airport. They drive. He drops him off. He drives back. He's got a dollar. He couldn't go. What if he had a really important 
thing to do. I just felt bad for him and um, he I was listen. underused. Also, oh look, man, listen, we're missing we're missing a, a really big scene that I think really tells it. So if if the jump in the toilet wasn't enough, if the three stooges secret agents that follow them around and then light on fire and roll around on his lawn isn't enough for you. He makes them blind. Doesn't he make them blind too? I got yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna just mention a scene and see what your reaction is. Toast. Oh that toast scene is the is the most egregious thing in the movie. This is where it gets uncomfortable. Again the the treatment of her in that scene is actually it's actually difficult to watch like it, it, so he he's holding tongs with a with a piece of toast and making her like burn it with her it's, mind but it's teaching suburban her suburban breakfast it's like i'm daddy's going to work mom's making breakfast well, wait, and they're going to they even screw that up cuz she goes you can try it again tomorrow for breakfast and i go oh that's dinner <laughs> right you just did a pratspit tony just did a pratspit of his coffee <laughs> <laughs> Am I right? Yeah, because you're like, what? This is right. She have oven mitts. She's got two oven mitts on for breakfast. You don't even need one for breakfast. What's happening? And she's burning toast, and it looks like a morning scene. And then she goes, "Well, you can try it again tomorrow for breakfast." And I go, "Wait, yeah. isn't this breakfast? Like, yeah. no, it's dinner, or, or vice yeah. versa. It's just all screwed up." And this then he literally the big... shakes her. Yeah, yeah. This is the big psychic training moment, right? This would be the equivalent of like you know. um, a rocky montage but for the chair the chair scene in poltergeist there you go right it's a, it's a perfect analogy yes 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 you know and 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 there there's also a bit of a training thing like a rocky training montage where they're like this is how the parents control like learn teach this child to control her insane powers because without their help she'll just blow the world up and they right. know that so yes. they have to tr- teach her to to control that so she's safe and doesn't hurt anybody and so they do that by having her burn pieces of toast that her father holds with a pair of tongs <laughs> while her mother watches in the background wearing two oven mitts that she's never seen before. She just doesn't know what those there. do. Just standing there. She hasn't cooked a lot, I don't think, at that point. And so uh, that she ignites the toast on fire and then she gets upset with her mother. Now we know why the oven mitts are on. The oven mitts explode into flames. She can't get oven mitts off. She can't throw she how how is any of this even possible how did they think to do it you know david keith had just been in like good stuff like yep. officer or gentleman and mm-hmm. lords of discipline and mm-hmm. he's on the fast track to being like a new you know heavy dramatic actor oh my god great i got fire start i got this new stephen king oh. movie this is great y'all may never work again yeah and then she the poor little girl like Overburns the toast, accidentally lights her mother on fire with this power, and then yeah, goes, I'm sorry, mommy. And he grabs her by the shoulders and goes, like, you gotta control it, you gotta control it. And he's literally shaking Drew Barrymore to the point where I'm going, like, oh, I'm uncomfortable right now. Yeah, like I'm yeah. literally uncomfortable watching this. It's, yeah, it's, you're not at the actor studio right now, David. Take it down. <laughs> yeah, you're holding a child. Jade, relax. Seven. She's seven. <laughs> she's yeah. yeah, oh my god. You're not screaming dude. Sheen. Dude can't do that. Okay, I got one other. I got one other thing because you were about to wrap this up out of disgust. I'm like, no, I'm gonna, we're gonna keep, we're gonna stay here until we're done. It can take it, as you always say. What? Okay, the end of this, the very end of this movie is the funniest thing I've I've ever seen. Mm. 
at the very end, they the girl escapes and gets back to her dear friends, Art Carney and Louise Fletcher, who she knew for an afternoon and whom she nearly got killed. But they're apparently very happy to see her. But that's her family immediately. Right. After She's, five minutes of nowhere, she fed some chickens. They had some eggs. Yeah. And now they're they family. really bonded. Yep. And um, makes sense. Drew Barrymore has killed about 47 people at oh, this point. That might be a low estimate. Maybe yep. low. Destroyed a maybe building. 100 people. Yep. Um, and uh, and so but she's still probably in some kind of danger. And for some reason. Uh, they're like, I guess they're like, if we get the story out there, then then everything will be OK. So end of the movie, Art Carney, who lives in Tennessee. We cut to the front of the New York Times in New, uh, York, New York, the New York Times in our Carney is walking Drew Barrymore into the building and says, it's okay. You'll be safe now. You'll be safe now. Because Tony, she's going to walk in, find a uh, Jimmy Breslin and tell her, tell or tell him the writer that, um, Hey, I have an ability to blow things up with firebombs and my dad could make people do things with his mind. And I destroyed mm -hmm. a CIA camp. So write about it and I'll be safe. What? Yeah. So many questions. I mean, uh, you know, is uh, it kind of seemed like he was they were going to live there, like he was going to drop her off there, like at the doorstep of a church. You'll be safe now at the New York. You'll Times. be safe here. I've got to go back to Tennessee. Well, even before that, when she gets to there, the old person's house. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but if I had a nickel for every time I picked up an eight year old hi hitchhiker in my pickup truck and brought her to she just arrives in a pickup truck with a stranger like, hey, thanks for the ride. Yeah. Thanks for the ride, brother. Don't take that child to the police. Take no, them no, immediately no. to the New York Times. Thanks to the lift buster. I'm like, how did he how did they get there? Did they have an appointment? How I, I'm I'm baffled by that. And then they, they go to black. The, the movie ends. And then here. Oh, wait, more tangerine dream. Aren't you happy about that? <laughs> oh, and before that, I'm doing it for you, daddy. You'll be safe. You'll be safe now at the New York Times. At the New York Times? How are they? Please. Wow. Yeah. I mean, look, oh. I I had a fine time, I guess. I laughed my ass off, but I, I really I wouldn't see this again. No, this I, isn't even like bad, agreed. funny enough. It's just not enough. It's agreed. just a slog. Uh, let me play a clip now of me. I saved this. For just this type of moment, I save this in my sound files. Okay. This is me asking you at the end of a of a similar type of review we did to another film. Mm -hmm. We just literally lit it on fire. Pun intended. <laughs> I asked you if you think this movie should be on the shelf or not, and here it is. Hey, Tony, is this going on the shelf? God, no, dude, no, this is this, this literally, this is the first one that I'm like, I want to throw this into the trash. I just don't think this movie has a right to be uh, it be. What we can do is, is dub it. I think we can dub it the worst. I think it's the worst one we've done when you look at budget cast, right? When you compare the, like what it could have been and should have been and what it was, it, it, I think it's the worst one we've done yet. The only okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be really mean right now and say the no. only thing I think that I enjoyed less than this was that was that Bigfoot brand movie. new cherry flavor. Nope, that was a good movie. That was a good show. <laughs> I was thinking of a bad one. Um, which one was it? It was uh, uh exists or the Bigfoot, the kids oh, camping. That one. Yeah. 
But I'd even put Firestarter above it because you got Stephen King novel, you got George C. Scott, you got Mark. Yeah, there's less reason why it should be terrible. Right. Even a, a pretty solid Titanic George C. Scott doesn't make it worth seeing. It's like, Mm-mm. I, you know, maybe see that one scene where he freaks out and has his vietnam flashback but that's but even weird because that, he delivers it to an eight-year-old so it's like it's it's almost well, comes it comes off comedic unintentionally he's like you know it's it's uh, we can our debate about i that, guess i guess but you know little girl with a cabbage patch doll playing yeah. coleco vision he's like yeah i was really in vietnam baby but i i, I okay <laughs> that's the kind of perverse thing that, that i actually kind of appreciate i hear though, you like, but it has to be good around it somehow I think that if literally they just lifted that out and put it in a better fire starter, it would have that scene would have made it and it would have been great. You, you can't just slap like Led Zeppelin in the middle of your local karaoke night. Like, you know what I mean? Like, well, I do every time I show up, but <laughs> what are you going to do with her? John, the friendly orderly will come in. He will greet her, talk to her, get her to smile. John, the friendly orderly will make her happy because he's the only one who can. And when John feels that she has reached the moment of her greatest happiness, he will strike her across the bridge of the nose, breaking it explosively and sending bone fragments into her brain. It'll be quick. And he'll be looking at her face at the time. He will know her power. And when he dies, which I hope is very soon. Perhaps he can take that power with him into the other world. All right, Tony, we've been doing this last couple episodes. I really love it. We kind of pick a topic based on the film and we and we do like a top three or okay, yeah. best creepy kids in film because she's listed on a bunch of these lists, the Firestarter girl, Charlie. Right. Uh, so w- what are some real good creepy kids in film uh, in your mind? What comes to you mind? Want my like top top three or do what it. do you want? Do it. Um, well, I, you know, I'm, I waffled a little bit because I try to go with stuff that's not so well known, I guess, because yep. I'm a real snob. I love it. <laughs> but, um, I love it. I'm going to say um, I got to say uh, uh, Night of the Living Dead has to be one of the all time creepiest children in, in the world. I mean, this kid murders and eats her mother at the end of the movie yep. and it's it's pretty messed up so that that for me has got to be one or two one, one, top three incredible um i'm gonna say um uh the twins in the shining yeah they have to be on there that was that was probably my number one and my third bet was is gonna be a real like arty choice uh it's gonna be the movie uh, from the movie don't look now starring donald sutherland and julie christie oh wow what, what was i don't know that one that is a real one of my one of my faves. You know, it's like a it's a it's an art house horror movie. Okay. Um, from the seventies about a couple played by Sutherland Julie Christie who uh, whose daughter tragically dies in the beginning of the film, and okay. they are they go to Venice uh for work and kind of move there and um, begin maybe seeing her. They think they <gasps> may be seeing their daughter. What's it called, Tony? It's called Don't Look Now. I just want to see if I've seen this. And Keep and, going. and Keep this going. this choice is a little bit kind of like, you know, on that on the sci-fi thing we picked like um Blair Witch and what was cool about it is we don't really see the witch. Yes. And that's a little bit in that in an honor oh. of that choice. 
can we review this movie sometime soon? Absolutely. All right. Yeah. I want to see this. I'm trying to see if I've ever seen even scenes from it. No, I don't think I have. That's a great pick. All right. I want to review that movie. Uh, but of course, what, next week we have uh, Brian Kano's choice. What, what about you? Uh, well, I, I had the twins as my number one, The Shining. Mm. I mean, you know, it's it's like I always say about the Beatles. You know, you, you got to listen to those songs as if you've never heard them before sometimes because they're so in our consciousness. If you could listen to Let It Be like you've never heard it before, it's like. I, could, uh, I've heard about the Beatles all my life. Can we talk about something else? It's just an analogy, Tony. Please. It's just an analogy. I just, I beg you. So I put it's the Rocky twins. and the Beatles. I just need a different, I just need something different. I don't run very deep. You should have known that when you. Um, yeah, I mean, those kids, the, the, that's it. The twins in The Shining. I was like my number Scary one. Time. And then uh, I picked Isaac Cromer, Isaac Croner from Children of the Corn. Oh, that was definitely on the list for me. <laughs> yeah, Honorable yeah. mention, Malachi. Uh, Malachi, that little kid is so, so creepy. creepy. And creepy. even the redhead, his little, his little like enforcer, the redhead. Really kid. bad news. Oh, my yeah. God. Uh, and then I think my number, well, my number one A. I'm just going to say this. I don't even tell you the name of the character or the movie. When I do it, you're going to be like, oh, my God. Ready? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Terrifying. Hereditary. Absolutely great choice. Hereditary. Fantastic pick. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That might be tops because that is, uh, you know, <sighs> she was unnerving in a level that I oh. I don't even like thinking about it. So I that move, there were. There's parts of that movie that I don't even want to think about. Um, Same. I was I mean, so I disturbed. It, it was like Blair Witch level disturbed. Like I yeah. got, I had trouble really scary. getting through that movie the first time. You're exactly right. She is phenomenal. And she's actually become quite a little uh, star. Millie Shapiro, I believe it is. Um, I don't remember her name, but I hope so. Yeah, she was great I, I in that movie. She's in a bunch of movies coming up. She's really Good. kind of, um, yeah, she's getting her due. So Millie Shapiro. Um, that's awesome. I'll end with one of my honorable mentions, which I think is just, how can we overlook Damien from the Omen? I mean, I think that beautiful, beautiful, you know, pound for pound. He just, he, you know, he just looks no good. And what's interesting is that as a little kid, when I saw that movie for the first time, because I saw it too young, even as a little kid, I was like, something's wrong with that little kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like on a playground, you recognize yeah. it right away. You sussed him. Yeah. Out. And by the way, you can hear Tony and I doing things like this ranking, paranormal film characters on sci-fi's the wire if you follow their social media for the sci-fi network tony and i are regular contributors on the wire so check that out you'll find us just scroll through their uh their videos um and we'll be doing that again for them soon and we'll be doing it again next week with brian kano's choice of a film tony which was short-term memory maddie here frighteners the frighteners Thank you, sir. Um, we'll be back then. Join us. And by the way, if we missed a creepy kid, let us know. You can either leave us a message on our Anchor app, anchor.fm slash rated paranormal. Click leave message and let us know if we left out a creepy kid in film history. You can also get on our social media at rated paranormal. Let us know there and we will talk about it next week. Tony, thank you. This was so much fun. Thank you, buddy. Great time. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of Rated P for Paranormal. Please rate, review, and share. It really does make a difference. For more information, to participate, and even donate, go to our main page, anchor.com 
anchor.fm slash Rated Paranormal. On social media, we're at Rated Paranormal. All music is by Andrew Goldens Jr. You can find him on Instagram at Kid Riga or go to therocketscience.bandcamp.com. This podcast was created, written, produced, and edited by Maddie Blake and Anthony Arkin. Leave me alone. I'm a rambling man. Not my fault you're pregnant.